So let's take our Bibles and go to Romans chapter 6. I'm going to talk about something this morning that uh, I believe is going to be review for many. But let me, let me issue this challenge to you that uh, know this uh, a subject well, and so that you don't just, you know, sort of turn off and check out because, oh, I, I, I know about that. Um, I, want you, I want to challenge you uh, with the question, could you teach this? Okay? And the, this is the security of the believer, the eternal security of the believer. And so I want to start with this first. I want to start with a little bit of talk about assurance, because there's no sense in talking about security if we don't talk a little bit about assurance. You can't be secure in something you're not sure uh, that you have. And one of the things I find is that most Christians, sooner or later, for whatever reason, whether they're first-generation Christians or second-generation Christians or third or whatever the case, whether you got saved out of a truckload of sin or you just got saved from a lot of sin, and regardless of the case, somewhere along the line, uh, we'll end up running into a time where we struggle a little bit with assurance. And usually the problem is uh, subjective thoughts. And what I mean by that, it's not that we don't believe the Bible teaches assurance in Christ. Uh, we just wonder if we really got in. And things like, okay, when I came forward uh, and I filled out the decision card, did I fill it out right? <laughs> um, you know, did, did, I, did I pray the right way and did I understand things correctly when I prayed? Uh, in my case, I was going to a church where they, they didn't have an invitation, so that can uh, create complications on one side of it. It, it can, it can uh, work to your advantage, too. Uh, but in my case, I didn't have a specific time where anybody nailed me down, but I kept coming to church, and it all started to make sense. And, and here's the bottom line. It, it, it got into my heart. Now, I'm not saying that because I'm going the touchy-feely psychological route. I'm saying that because that's what the Bible says. Look at chapter 6 here in the book of Romans, and this is the key. Whether or not you filled out the card right, or you know the name of the deacon that dealt with you on the platform, or the color of the carpet when you cried, <laughs> okay? Or whether you repented first and then believed, or believed and then repented, or, you know... Here's the bottom line. Romans chapter 6, verse 17. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. That's a lost man. But ye have obeyed from the what? Heart, that form of what? Doctrine which was delivered you. Do you realize salvation is a doctrine? You know, when people say, well, you know, doctrine isn't important. We, we, we don't worry about that. Salvation is a doctrine. <laughs> and no wonder we have a, a nation full of, of professing Christians that are so confused. But salvation is a doctrine. And the Bible says that you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In my case, I had to realize that my religion and all of my works and self-effort were of no avail, and I had to turn and put my faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And I always, 
I always land on August of 73. It was somewhere, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was before that by a month or two or even after that by a month or two. It doesn't matter, okay? And if you, if you get too introspective about those subjective things, you'll miss the objective truth. The bottom line is from your heart, do you believe that the finished work of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can or will get you to heaven, and that's what you're relying on? That's the bottom line, folks. And that's objective truth. Otherwise, we continue to... Uh, and by the way, I don't find very many lost people wrestling with assurance of their salvation. <laughs> I've never had an out-and-out -out lost person come up to me and say, hey, I'm struggling with assurance of my salvation. Could you help me? <laughs> That's something Christians struggle with. And, and struggle they do. And, and, and maybe it's not a bad thing. Maybe the, uh, we're just obeying the admonition that says um, to examine yourself. To examine yourself. So it, it, it's a common thing that I find. And uh, I want to say this now as we shift over to uh, eternal security, and, and I'm going to title it in its simplest terms, Can You Lose It? And the reason I'm titling it that is because people always talk about, well, do you believe you can lose it? Do you believe it's it? They always talk about it, and they're referring to salvation. Or what does it take to keep it? So let's ask the question, can you lose it? Now, let me say this to you. Uh, I can see 50 years as a Christian from where I'm standing. In August of this month, it will be 50 years. It's, 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 it's hard to believe that it's been that long. And I'm going to tell you this right now. This doctrine of the security of the believer has been tested in my life through many dangers toils, and snares. And it's remarkable to me what a buoy this has been in so many of the storms of life. I also want to say this. As I've, as I've gone along as a believer, I've come to the realization that those of us that believe in the eternal security of the believer, once saved, always saved, as they would say down south, are a staggering minority of Christendom. And I say Christendom, you know, to give it the broad stroke of the brush. All right, we understand Armenians believe you can lose it. Armenians believe you can lose it. And I, I don't mean the, the nationality of Armenia, Armenians in the Middle East. I, I mean, I'm talking about those that uh, follow the route of Jacob Arminius uh, during the uh, 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 1500s. And, and he came to the conclusion uh, you could lose your salvation. And so historically, it's just come down to us that the idea that you could lose your salvation and, and maybe never get it back or lose it and get it back and lose it and so forth, we'll talk about that, is called Armenianism. But what's interesting to me is the argument's always framed this way. Are you Armenian or are you Calvinist? <laughs> like there's no other option, Okay. How about if we go this route? How about if you're Armenian or Calvinist or biblical? <laughs> How about if we throw a third one in there just for fun? And, and what's amazing to me in studying Calvinism, you know, a doctrine that, that says you were predestinated before, before the foundations of the world, 
how people can struggle so much with assurance enveloped and wrapped in that doctrine. And the reason for it is, is they don't believe in eternal security. Um, Calvinism can be defined by the uh, acronym uh, TULIP, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace. And here's what a lot of people think. Well, perseverance of the saints, that's eternal security. No, it's not. It's Arminianism on steroids. It's the idea that if you're truly saved, you will persevere to the end, and then you'll know you're saved if you make it. Well, folks, that's more Armenian than Armenianism. At least with Armenianism, I had it, but then I lost it, so I need to go get it back. But at least I had it. Under perseverance of the saints, you never know if you have it. And that's one of the reasons that so many people that get into Calvinism lack the assurance that we as Bible believers might take for granted. And so those are just a couple of quick observations uh, I wanted to share with you. And like I said, a study of church history says that it's a very small minority of people that have landed on this idea uh, that we are secure. So should I stand up here and defend it this morning for that reason? No. I think what we need to do is be objective and see what the Bible has to say. Let's pray. Father, guide us and direct us in our thoughts. Help me to say that only, which is edifying and will be a blessing to your people. But also, Father, there may be somebody lost here in this building or looking in live stream that this doctrine will, will, will bring them to look at Christ afresh and anew and understand that the grace of God is their only hope and it's such a rich and blessed hope. Father, uh, please use your word now as I would attempt to get out of the way as I preach in Christ's name. Amen. Can you lose it? Can you lose it? You know, uh, take your Bibles and go to Romans chapter, or excuse me, Psalm chapter 27. I was going to say Romans chapter 27. You find that. I want you to show that to me in the foyer after the service. Uh, Psalm chapter 27. And we're going to learn some Bible this morning. And like I said, if you know these things, ask yourself the question, can I teach these things? So review will be good for you. Psalm 27 in verse 13, David says, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. When I look at that verse, I think of the security of the believer. I think of how many things we go through in the Christian life, many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come, and there have been times where I might have fainted. I might have gotten off track. I might have given up through discouragement, except I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Isn't it good to know that no matter what happens, you're going to make it? little girl told her family one time, she says, my, the Bible is my favorite book because, because God's people live happily ever after. Uh, one of our kids, I can't remember which one it was, but we'd sing trust and obey and they would sing trust and okay. Folks, that's as a result of knowing that my salvation is in God's hands. Religious folks say it's by works or is it by grace? Some say you got to live it. Others say you ought to live it. Some say can you lose it. Some say you can't lose it. So we're going to talk about it 
this morning and ask ourselves a question. Can you lose it? We're not going to look at feelings or opinions, but let's take a look at God's book. First of all, let's go to 1 John chapter 5. And the first question we have to answer is, what is it? What is it? If we're talking about it, let's make sure we understand what it is. 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 12. I want you to notice something in verse 12. Every word is single syllable. You know, there are some things in the Bible that are a little complicated. And for me, frankly, a little hard to understand. But I'm glad this morning that salvation is not one of those things. I'm glad that salvation is simple enough that a five-year-old child can understand it. And yet profound enough to (laughs) confound the greatest brainiac that ever lived. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Verse 12, the Bible says, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Very simple. You either have Christ or you don't. You either have Christ or you don't. Then look at verse 13. He says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that she may, what's the next word there? Know that she have eternal life, present possession, and that she may believe on the name of the Son of God. Eternal life is a present possession. Someone was once asked, are you saved? And they said, well, I hope so. I try to be. I do the best I can. Well, are you married? I hope so. I try to be. (laughs) I do the best I can. Uh, Your spouse wouldn't like that answer. And folks, you're either saved or you're not. And it's not a matter of your effort. It's a matter of whether you have Christ or don't have Christ. Notice verse 13. We have a no-so salvation. Paul said, I know whom I have believed. It's a present possession. We are being told in verse 13 that eternal life is a present possession. Uh, When I grew up in religion, I had the idea and most people I knew had the same idea in religion that, you know, you just go along through life, do the best you can, then get to the judgment. God puts your good works on one side, your bad works on the other, and hope the scales tip towards your good works. And then you'll know then. But the Bible says you can have eternal life now. It's not something God doles out at the judgment. It's something we can have now. Now, now think about it for a second. It's eternal life. If it's eternal and you could lose it, then eternal doesn't mean eternal. If I have eternal life now and I lose it, then it was never eternal to start with. The other possibility is I never had it. Preacher down south said one time, someone asked me if I'd Go to hell if I smoked. He said, you won't go to hell if you smoke. He said, bless God, but you'll smell like you've been there. He said, (laughs) if you can lose your salvation this morning, then let me say this to you. Trade what you've got in for what God offers. Because you've got something temporary if you can lose it. So what is it? It's eternal life, and it's a present possession. Number two. How do you get it? Let's stay right here where we're at in verses 12 and 13. Look at verse 12. He that hath the Son hath life. The Bible says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
uh, John chapter 1, verse 4. But verse 13 says, we, we receive Christ, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> we get eternal life by believing. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Take your Bibles and turn to first, or excuse me, John chapter 1. John chapter 1. I, I know these are simple concepts, but it's amazing. You remember Paul was concerned that Satan had blinded the minds of the Corinthian believers concerning the simplicity that's in Christ. And it's not God that complicates things and makes it hard. John chapter 1 and verse 11. He came unto his own, Christ. He came to the, the Jews. And his own what? Received him not. They rejected him. But as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God. Now you say, preacher, how do I receive Christ? How do I receive Christ? Uh, as a Roman Catholic growing up, we were taught in catechism that we receive Christ by, by going to communion. Uh, they, they had taken the ordinance and turned it into a sacrament. That's, that's not what the Bible teaches. Take a look at this here. He says, he says but uh, to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that what? Believe on his name. That's how, that's how you get salvation. You believe on Christ. Uh, believe is synonymous in the New Testament with receive. It's not intellectual assent. Uh, to Jesus Christ, the historical figure, it's heartfelt trust. Just like all of you are sitting in this chair this morning, you are trusting in that chair to hold you up. There's no, there's no need for you to hang on or tense up your leg muscles. That chair will hold you up. When you trust Christ, you are trusting him to hold you up. Many years ago, the great tightrope walker, Blondin, uh, was walking uh, across a, a tightrope across the Niagara Falls. And he had gone across and back, and there was a large crowd amazed at such a feat of daring and courage. And so he said to the crowd, he said, how many of you believe I could put you on my back and take you across? And uh, most people raised their hand. And he pointed to a grown man, and he said, you, sir, come, get on my back. And the guy decided that wasn't such a good idea. It's one thing to say, I believe Christ will save me. It's another thing to abandon religion, abandon self-effort and self-works, and to trust in him fully and put your case completely in his hands. There's a great big difference between knowing about somebody for a long time and actually meeting them. Peter says, the just for the unjust. Christ suffered for us, the just for the unjust, to pay for our sins and the Bible tells us to receive him. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Folks, if we're saved by grace through faith, then we are kept by the same. Otherwise, we take amazing grace and turn it into a floating opportunity. Otherwise, constantly abiding turns into constantly deciding. And think of it for a second, folks. If I lost my salvation, I've been born again. Then I'd have to be unborn. And then reborn again. And then if I lost it again, well, you get the idea. And so maybe Jesus 
should have said, you must be born again, 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 again. But he didn't say that. He said, you must be born again. One new birth is all it takes. Now, let me take you to the portion of Scripture that is the strongest argument against eternal security and show you that it's the strongest argument for eternal security. And in fairness to those that believe you can lose your salvation, there are verses in the Bible that look that way at first glance. If you don't look at the context and you don't study them completely and cross-reference them out through Scripture, uh, you can come to that conclusion. But let me say this. God didn't ask us to play a game where, okay, how many look like it is and how many look like it isn't, and I'll go with the higher number. Folks, the Bible doesn't contradict itself. So let's take a look at this. Let's be fair this morning. Take your Bibles and go to the book of Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. One of the greatest ways to understand Scripture that's confounding you is to get it in context. Who's he talking to? When is he talking to him? What is he talking about? And what period of time are we in? Are we over there in the garden before the fall of man? Are we there in Genesis 6, just before the flood? Are we after the flood? Are we in the book of Exodus, where God's delivering the law to the, the Jewish people? Are, are we during the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, before he was crucified? Are we after he was crucified? Are we in the current church age? In other words, dispensations. These moral probationary periods we find in the word of God from Genesis to Revelation, if you understand if you understand whose mail you're reading, okay, and the address on the envelope, it'll help you get proper context. Let's take a look at this here. I can't tell you how many times, especially when I was down south, I had these verses thrown into my face to prove that you could lose your salvation. And by the way, whoever it is that loses whatever they had, it's true. They lost it. But there's also something else that isn't generally considered. Take a look at verse 4. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4. For it is impossible, impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted of the good word of God and of the powers of the world to come. Now, somebody trying to defend eternal security said one time, well, that's not a saved person. That sounds pretty saved to me. That sounds like somebody that's in on God's program in some way, shape, or form. Watch this. It's impossible. And then all this parenthetical description. It is impossible. Go from it is impossible. Forget the parenthetical uh, material there. Enlightened, heavenly gift, tasted of the good power. And then look at verse 6. If they shall fall away to renew them again under repentance. Seeing they crucify. Seeing they crucify the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Do you realize what verse 6 is saying? If these people that had all of this going on, enlightenment, tasted of the heavenly gift, verse 4, made partakers of the Holy Ghost, tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, it's impossible to what? Renew them again under repentance. <coughs> you know what that verse is teaching? If you want to apply it to a church age saint, that when you lose your salvation, there's no getting it back. I don't know anybody that I've ever met that believes you could lose your salvation, that believes you can never get it back. But that's what this verse is teaching. 
Now you say, well then, who is this? Okay, without teaching you the whole New Testament this morning, <laughs> if you take the context of this and you study the book of Revelation carefully and Matthew chapter 24 carefully, you find out a tribulation saint, a tribulation saint cannot take the mark of the beast and crucify the Son of God afresh. And you read the book of Revelation and, 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 and Matthew chapter, take a look at Matthew chapter 24 for a second. I'll give you another verse that's commonly used to prove you can lose your salvation. And again, all it is is a verse that's being taken at first glance value, but the context isn't being considered. Look at Matthew chapter 24. And by the way, what's the subject of Matthew 24? The tribulation period. The disciples asked Jesus about his second coming. And he launches off into this long dissertation about the tribulation period, which, by the way, the church won't even be around during that period of time. This is Jacob's trouble, Daniel's 70th week. Take a look at verse, uh, look at verse, um, I'll just pick up a little bit of context here. Verse 11, and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Verse 12, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Then look at verse 13. <clears throat> but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be what? And then shall this gospel of the kingdom be preached. Not the gospel of the grace of God. The gospel of the kingdom be preached. An earthly, physical, visible kingdom with a king showing up to rule and reign for a thousand years. And all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. And then look at verse 15, 16, 17. He starts talking about... Uh, the abomination of desolation found in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel's 70th week. He's right in the middle of the tribulation. He that shall endure to the end of the tribulation shall be saved. You can't take the mark of the beast. That's what Hebrews 6 is talking about, folks. And it says if you lose it, you can't get it back. So what is it? It's eternal life. How do we get it? By believing on the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Third question, who owns it? Who owns it? Whose is it? Whose salvation is it? You know, we read so often in the Psalms that salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. Go to John chapter 10. Folks, the caretaker of your salvation this morning, if you have biblical salvation, you have trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and you're relying upon him alone to give you eternal life through his death, burial, and resurrection, then we have three caretakers of your salvation, and none of them are you, none of them are the church, none of them's your mother or father, your siblings or your children or anybody else. Let's take a look at it. John chapter 10 and verse 27. John chapter 10 and verse 27. Jesus speaking, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they of follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Black preacher said one time, he said, the Lord, he said, the he says, he says, uh, no, uh, he said, the Father will not pluck you out of his hand. He said, the Son will not pluck you out of, uh, out of his hand. And he says, and they're the only ones in the plucking business, he said. <laughs> Folks, 
the Father has got you. You're in his hands. Now you say, well, it says the Son here too. Yeah, but there's some even stronger stuff about the Son. So I'll just stop at the Father. I'll just stop at the Father. and We'll, we'll talk about the Son in a little bit. But folks, uh, you're in his hands. You're in his hands. Who's going to get you out of his hands? I say, well, I'll jump out. Where is that in the Bible? Where, where, where's the parachute part here? <laughs> All right, take a look at the Holy Spirit. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. You say, where is it? Where is my salvation? What is it? It's eternal life. How do I get it? I believe on Christ. And who is the owner of it? The Father. The Father. Let's take a look at the Holy Spirit here. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. Who's the caretaker? Who's the owner? The Bible says, verse 13, in whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, watch it now, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of the inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. Sealed by the Holy Spirit. Take a look at chapter 4 and look at verse 30. Chapter 4, verse 30. You say, I've seen these verses before. I want you to dream about them. I want you to dream about them in your sleep. Verse 30, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto when? The day of redemption. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. My wife has done canning as long as we've been married. I don't know why they call it canning, because they use jars. But they call it canning. And she'll put that, uh, the vegetables or fruit or, or even meat or whatever in, the, in there and, 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 and boil it in, in the hot water. And, and there's, a, there's a lid that goes on that, that ball jar. It's ball brand jars, most of them anyways. And a lid with a, a wax seal. And then she'll pull that rack out with a half a dozen of these, these uh, quart jars and, and they'll cool off. And as they cool off, at some point you'll start to hear pop. Pop, pop, and that seal sucks down, and that's, that's the wax seal sealing what's in there so it doesn't perish until the day it's redeemed. <laughs> we get to eat it. <laughs> that's the day of redemption for something that's canned. <laughs> but for you and I, it's when our bodies are redeemed. Your soul is saved. <clears throat> Your spirit is joined to the Lord. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. And the only thing that's not redeemed is your body. And we get up every morning and we get a reminder of it. I got up this morning and I was reminded of what Dr. Gipp has said again and again. He said, when you're sleeping, your body's trying to kill you. <laughs> and I got up this morning I was just reminded that I don't have my resurrection body yet. But I am sealed until the day of redemption. And the Spirit of God owns my salvation. The Father owns my salvation. And let's look at the Son. 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And 2 Timothy chapter 1. And verse 11. 2 Timothy 1 verse 11. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Paul was persecuted all constantly through his ministry, finally lost his life as a martyr and was beheaded at the hand of Nero. 
He says this, nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. It doesn't say I know what I believed. It doesn't say I know when I believed. It doesn't say I know how I believed. It says I know whom I have believed. I mean, if it's up to you to remember all the details, one of these days you could get dementia and not remember a thing. But he'll never forget. He'll never forget. John chapter 10 says God the Father is taking care of my salvation because he owns it. Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 4 says the Holy Spirit is taking care of my salvation because he owns it. And 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12 says the Son of God is taking care of my salvation because he owns it. It's not yours to lose this morning. It's not the devil's to take away from you. Oh, by the way, if you want to backslide and get away from God, too late. (laughs) You can backslide but you can't get away from God. So guess what? You're going to be miserable till you get back with God. I mean, if I wanted to get away from the Lord and live a lost life again, I would try to convince myself that I'm not still saved. Otherwise, I'm dragging God around in my sin, and that's sort of an uneasy relationship. But you can't do it anyways, folks. The Spirit of God lives inside of you, and you are stuck. (laughs) But it's a good stuck. It's a good stuck. One of our grandkids, he just didn't like to be, and you'd hold him, and he'd try to get out, and he'd go, stuck. (laughs) He'd go, stuck. You're stuck. Isn't that good? (laughs) Might as well walk with the Lord. Try not, you, you try to get away from the Lord, you can be like Jonah. You're going to find out you can't. (laughs) You can't. He's going to be there. You're bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. He that has joined the Lord is one spirit. Amen. All righty. So he owns it. He's taking care of it. And folks, by the way, the Bible says Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Being confident of this very thing that he hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Folks, assurance and eternal security would be the height of arrogance if we were depending on ourselves to keep it. But it's his, and he's taking care of it for us. Lastly, one last thing. Where is it? Where is it? Take your Bibles and go to Hebrews chapter 12. Where is your salvation? this morning you say well i have christ in my heart well that's true that's true if you're saved the bible says in the book of colossians christ in you the hope of glory but again that's that's looking inward that's looking inward and that can get subjective let's look outward and keep it objective keep it objective hebrews hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses Let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Say, where's my salvation this morning? You ever had a safe deposit box? You put things in it that are valuable. You want things taken care of. Jesus Christ is our safe deposit box. And he is at the right hand of the Father. Where is your salvation this morning? It's not in those waters of baptism. When you got baptized, those waters went down the drain. It's not in a piece of paper declaring your church membership. Nothing wrong with church membership, but that's not where your salvation is today. Your salvation is up in heaven at the right hand of the Father. It's being taken care of by the Son of God. Don't look inward, look upward. Look at Hebrews chapter 7. Just go back a few pages here. Hebrews chapter 7. Your New Testament is filled with this great truth. And we're just giving you a few samples here this morning. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. Hebrews 7 verse 25. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. One preacher said one time from the uttermost to the guttermost. Seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens... Who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sin, then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity, but the word of the oath, which was since the law, maketh the son who is consecrated forevermore. Five bleeding wounds he bears, received at Calvary. They strongly plead for me, folks. He's the bearer of these things. He's the one that is keeping you this morning, if you know him as your personal Savior. Lastly, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll close with this thought. And like I said, if you've been saved in a church where this was taught, you might take for granted that everybody gets this. It's not true. You'd be surprised. The vast majority of Christians struggle with this concept, and they really believe somehow, in some shape, form, or manner, it's up to them to keep their salvation. And uh, folks, um, <laughs> it's just wonderful to know it's in his hands. Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, and look at uh, verse 5, Ephesians 2 verse 5, the Bible says, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. By the way, that's how God sees you this morning. If you know Christ in your spirit, you're already up there. Paul said our conversation is in heaven. Our conversation is in heaven. We're just waiting for our bodies to catch up. Folks, you're not going to lose it, then he kicks you out. You get it back, you're back up there. You lose it, he kicks you out, back and forth, back and forth. I'm tempted to say the way some of you attend church, but I won't say that. <laughs> That's too sarcastic, so I won't say it. I'm mean, actually just see the Lord saying, oh, you again. <laughs> Folks, you're seated in heavenly places with him. 
He's not going to kick you out. I think the problem is too many Christians don't understand the, the, the depth and the breadth and, and, and the, the, the nature of salvation. Uh, take a look at verse 7. That in the ages to come, here's his purpose now, okay? You say, his purpose was to keep me from going to hell and make me happy. Secondary at best. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm glad I'm saved. I'm glad I'm not going to hell. I don't want to dance on hot coals for eternity. Okay, and I'm glad I'm going to be happy for eternity. But that's not the first reason he saved me. Verse 7 is the first reason he saves us. He says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. You know what God's going to do through all eternity? He is going to brag to the angels about his graciousness. And when an angel says, well, prove it, Lord. He'll just point to us. <laughs> Is there anybody here this morning that wouldn't be a good object lesson of God's grace and mercy? Is there anybody here that would think that when God pointed at him, God, oh, not you. <laughs> you did everything right. Uh, I'll try somebody else. <laughs> Is there anybody here that wouldn't say, I will be amazed to be there? <laughs> It was John Newton who wrote Amazing Grace. He said, three, three wonders I'll behold in heaven. He said, first of all, those uh, that are there that I never thought would be there. He said, and the second wonder will be those that I thought would be there that did not make it. And he said, the third thing will be that I'm there. <laughs> That'll be the most amazing thing. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Verse 7 what is his, his purpose? That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through, through, through Christ Jesus. We will be trophies of his grace throughout eternity. Folks, if you could lose your salvation, that purpose would be defeated. And his purpose will not be defeated. An old man was questioned about his salvation. He was a saved man. And he was asked about whether or not he thought he could go to hell. And he said, he said, well, if I could, he said, I'd be happier in hell with him than in heaven without him. An old Scottish woman during the Reformation was asked in her dying bed by an old Scott reformer preacher. He said, what if it pleased God to put you in hell? And she said, he'd have more to lose than I would. He said, all, she said, all I would lose is my soul but he would lose his integrity. We are accepted in the beloved, folks. And the Bible says, I am my beloved's, and he is mine. We're told in the book of Hebrews, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. What a wonderful truth. You know what we ought to do with that thing this morning? We ought to go out from these four walls out into a world and tell them about the wonderful grace of Jesus Christ. Because it's not... It's not just you get saved and then you got to keep it. It's you are saved and he is keeping it for you. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Our Father, we just thank you for your word this morning. And uh, Father, this subject is too wonderful, uh, too broad, too, too expansive, too amazing uh, to, for flesh and blood to do it any justice. So we ask, Lord, this morning that 
something from the word would speak to every heart, every heart here, Lord. And uh, Father, we pray for that one without Christ, uh, that they would come to know Christ and, and grab hold of a salvation that's not man-made, a salvation that is so counterintuitive to the religious self-righteous mind, but that you would give eternal life freely as a free gift and pledge to never take it back how grateful we should be this morning and how I have to stand here before this great congregation admit so often I have not been grateful. Lord, I have to admit sometimes I've been your biggest ingrate. And so this morning I, I thank you before these people for what you've done for me and what you're keeping for me and keeping for every saint here this morning that knows you as their personal savior. Lord, I believe if it was ours to keep, we'd lose it. We would lose it. But it's not. It's not. Father, help us to go from this place excited about your love and your acceptance of us, accepted in the beloved, and tell others how they can be accepted as well. Help us, Lord, to be those ambassadors that you told us that we are in Jesus Christ, more than conquerors through him that loved us. We pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and take our hymnals and turn to number 371, number 371, once for all.
Amen. Once for all. Brother Mike Walski, would you come on up here and please close us in a word of prayer. Let's bow before the Lord, our Father and our God. We are so grateful to be here this morning. We're so grateful to be under the sound of the gospel, under the sound of the preaching of your word. Oh, Lord, just a reminder, the, the substance that we have in Christ. Lord, that we're in Christ and we're never going to be out of Christ. One day we're in heaven and we're never going to leave heaven. Lord, what a blessedness it is. We're so grateful. We're so thankful for it. Lord, if there be anybody here without Jesus Christ as their Savior, Lord, may they seek someone out, seek pastor out, seek someone out to find out how they can know their salvation is secure in Christ, how they can come to you by faith. I pray, Father, that if there be any here that are doubting their salvation, concerned of whether they could lose it, concerned about what they've done in the past or thought, and that's uh, not exemplifying a Christian life, I pray, Father, that get in the scripture, look over the verses that we saw today, recognize and realize that in Christ, nobody can be out of Christ. We're so grateful for that. We love you. We count it a privilege to be here. Please bring us back again this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.